There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Megan Gibson, Executive Editor, Foreign, in London. I'm Emily Tampkin, Senior Editor, U.S. in Washington, D.C. I'm Ida Volk, Europe Correspondent in Berlin. It's Thursday, the 19th of May. You're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Then, later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. This week... Finland and Sweden apply to join NATO. But will Turkey's President Erdogan derail their chances? How can we trust Finland and Sweden? Apparently they're coming to Turkey on Monday. Are they coming to try and convince us? Excuse me, but they shouldn't bother. Above anything else during this process, we cannot say yes to those who impose sanctions on Turkey. Then we turn to the tragic and upsetting mass shooting in Buffalo, New York. For the evil did come to Buffalo. It's come to all too many places. Manifest in gunmen who massacred innocent people in the name of hateful and perverse ideology rooted in fear and racism. What is the hateful theory behind the killer's actions and why do right-wing politicians and pundits keep spouting it? Thank you for joining us. Let's begin. All right, we have a lot to get through this week, so we're just going to get right into it. Megan, as our resident Nordic expert, we have spoken on this podcast before about how Finland and Sweden had announced that they were going to announce that they were probably going to apply to join NATO, and now they've done it. Can you bring our listeners up to speed on what happened, on how they asked, on how it was received, on the public sentiment behind behind this application? Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, we've talked about this a lot and Sweden and Finland have been talking about this a lot, especially in in recent months as public and political support in both countries have moved pretty rapidly towards supporting joining NATO. For both of these countries, this is such a significant change that the scale with which and the speed, I guess you could say, with which this decision has been made is quite staggering. But given everything that's happening in Ukraine, it now kind of seems inevitable. So both Finland and Sweden, you know, have never been members of NATO. Sweden particularly has always really prided itself on being militarily non-aligned. And Finland 
has definitely taken a really proud stance of its you know, ability to kind of be the voice between Moscow and the West. But public support has just shifted so, so dramatically, particularly in Finland. Almost 80% support of the public is in favor of joining NATO. I mean, in recent weeks, it's just, it's just obviously in, inevitable. And they announced in recent days, Finland first, but then swiftly followed by Sweden and the, the Social Democrat government there, that they were going to apply together for NATO membership. And on Wednesday, the 18th of May, they together made that application to NATO. How is it? I mean, this is for, for both of you. We mentioned at the top there how Turkey might might possibly play spoiler. But before we get to that, um, Megan and then Ido, how... How has this been received throughout Europe? Because I think in, in the United States, in Washington, D.C., at least in, in the Biden administration, you know, there's enthusiasm for this in NATO HQ. You know, the statements came out that this was most welcome. But what about throughout the European continent? It's being taken almost universally positively. Countries like Germany and France and almost every single member of the NATO alliance has said that this is very good. Within Finland and Sweden, there's a kind of political consensus. So they're both run by centre-left parties, but the centre-right parties in those countries, which have traditionally been a bit more favourable to NATO membership, have kind of mostly avoided making it a political issue and they've created a kind of national consensus and avoided attacking their left-wing counterparts on it because they view it as being in the national interest, essentially. But it is also worth noting that, you know, if you talk to people for, from these countries, they'll say, well, yes, this is obviously a big change, but in kind of practical terms, the formal neutrality um, that we enjoyed, Finland and Sweden, had been kind of, in effect, diminishing after the end of the Cold War. So they both kind of were, were working more closely with NATO, were aligning their militaries with NATO standards. Both countries joined NATO's Partnership for Peace, which is a kind of cooperation program that the alliance has with non-members. And they both joined in the 1990s after the, the end of the Soviet Union. And so they had been kind of working quite closely with NATO. And actually the, the comments that you've seen from Russia in response to this move, which obviously should on paper really aggravate Russia because it obviously said that it was fighting this war in Ukraine on Ukraine to stop Ukraine joining NATO. And now it's ended up with a border with NATO that is twice as long. Um, but actually the, the, the statements from Lavrov and Putin and other people about Finland and Sweden joining NATO have been quite measured. And some of the kind of Russian commentators that I've seen talk about this say that it's because it was kind of priced in. Um, you know, they might have been formally neutral, but there was no there was there wasn't that much doubt as to where Finland and Sweden's alliances really lay. They're both members of of the EU and this isn't kind of talked about all that much, but the EU does have a mutual defense clause, which is on paper, pretty similar to Article 5. And so, you know, if Russia decided to attack Finland on paper, all other EU member states would have been required to respond, including France, which is obviously a nuclear power. So the kind of, yes, there's the headline sea change, but then also um, if you actually take the sort of longer view over several decades, the change isn't perhaps quite as momentous in, in practice as perhaps it, it might first appear. That's a great point. And so, so, you know, although this is being hailed as a historic decision and is a historic decision, 
you know, there have been a series of historic decisions leading up to it that have laid the groundwork, if you will. Turkey did not provide such a warm reception to Finland and to Sweden. Megan, can you tell us a bit about Erdogan's response and and also some of the dynamics at play there? So, yeah, Erdogan did not have the warmest response to the news of Sweden and Finland's announcement that they were intending to join NATO. So on the face of it, he says he's opposed to Sweden and Finland, but actually primarily Sweden joining over Sweden's support for the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which Turkey and the EU and the US classes as a terrorist group. Sweden has refused to extradite individuals affiliated with the organization to Turkey. So this has been a long-running tension between Turkey and Sweden. And Erdogan is ostensibly going to cause a lot of issues over this because of his deep, deep feelings over this issue. Now, there's a view that Erdogan is actually just trying to use this as a bargaining chip to kind of get some things that he he wants. A lot of people think it's particularly what he wants from the U.S. So he could be looking for concessions from the U.S. Erdogan wants re-entry back into the F-35 fighter jet production process. So if that becomes a bargaining chip that Erdogan thinks he, he could use, this could then become an issue for Biden and be a problem back in Washington. So it's not it's not just a problem in Stockholm or Helsinki. Okay, well, that is certainly one to watch and we will keep watching and we'll have Megan back on the podcast to talk about <laughs> how uh, Turkey, Finland, Sweden, U.S. dynamics are are shaping out. For now, we are going to turn to a deeply upsetting story. On Saturday in Buffalo, New York, an 18-year-old went to a grocery store and killed 10 people. Before he did this, he had written a manifesto, a screed, pick your word, in which he had many things to say. He blamed Jewish people for helping Black Americans spread critical race theory. Apparently, he chose the grocery store that he did because it was in the most heavily Black neighborhood that that he could drive to or that he could think to drive to. So this was motivated by, by anti-Semitism and, and clearly by anti-Black racism. He also wrote the most important thing he thought was that Jews were bringing in other people to replace the white race and that, you know, the white birth rate was declining, white people are being replaced, da, 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 da. This is otherwise known as great replacement theory. And since it comes from France, you know, if you could just tell us a bit about it, about its origins, you know, just provide some, some context for this horrible event. Yeah, so the Great Replacement Theory, obviously, as, as this horrible episode shows, has a huge resonance across the world, or at least the, the Western world. But as you said, it, it started in France, and it started by a French author called Renaud Camus, who published a book in, in 2011, Le Remplacement. The, the theory holds that, I mean, in, in its original form, it holds that white Europeans are being replaced progressively replaced that their population is being replaced by immigration from the the third world, the Middle East, Africa, uh, South Asia, in a kind of intentional move engineered by elites. And at least in Europe, this has been a, a really influential political idea that has gone from quite a marginal concept 
promoted by one author to a really quite potent political slogan across Europe. And we can see that, for example, in France, where this presidential election, the last one, was marked by an unprecedented centrality of this particular idea in the political debate. It was a kind of tenet of Eric Zemmour, the most far-right candidate present in this year's election. It's a tenet of his thinking and of, of his program, and he had absolutely no qualms about using by using this idea. Emily, you can talk about this much more kind of competently than I can, but it also seems to have made its way across the Atlantic. Um, and so there's this kind of cross-pollination of ideas which begin in Europe on, on the European far right and then spread to America. And I suppose there's, there's pro- there are probably far right ideas which also begin in America and spread to Europe. You know, this is, has had resonance, unfortunately, around the world. The Christchurch shooter in New Zealand cited it. And apparently this Buffalo shooter was inspired by him. Megan, I know there was a uh, an attack in Canada last year. Yeah, in 2021, uh, a, a man <laughs> used a, a van to mow down a, a family, um, a Muslim family. And there was a lot of suspicion about where he became radicalized. I mean, you also see lots of overlaps. And I know it's... A lot of these hateful theories and this the radicalization that happens, especially when they're using sources such as the internet, you know, they're the theories that they are motivated by can become quite in Kuwait. And so there becomes a lot of overlapping with other sorts of theories. Um, because you see strains, I think, from these incel killers who, you know, while they don't necessarily focus that much on theories like great replacement theory there are strains of of their so-called griefs and grievances in what they kind of write in their manifestos i'm thinking of um elliot rogers manifesto i think that was in 2014 we've had some very good pieces up on the new statesman by the writer sarah manavis who has really looked at you know online radicalization of of men and where they get these theories and how these theories feed off one another and overlap. And so it's just really interesting to see how the different ways that this manifests around the world, because obviously, you know, a lot of these websites like 4chan and 8chan, they're read all over the world. But what's really interesting to me is the way that this radicalization manifests itself, particularly in the U.S., because while we do see attacks elsewhere in New Zealand and Canada, we see them much more frequently in the U.S. Yeah, and I, I guess what I would say, and I'm going to try to not get not get too upset while while giving the spiel, but um, yes, there's online radicalization that appears to be what happened in the case of the Buffalo shooter. But we should be really clear that this isn't something from fringe online corners in the United States. And for legal reasons, I'm not blaming any one individual or series of individuals. Like, again, this was pretty clearly radicalized online. But great replacement theory, you can turn on Fox News and hear the most watched news host in the United States, Tucker Carlson, talk about it and why it's a real threat. There are prominent Republican politicians who espouse great replacement theory. Critical race theory is attacked, as it was in this manifesto, by politicians all over this country, by people running in school board elections all over this country. And I guess what is upsetting is to know that none of them are going to stop. They're not they're not going to stop because of this killing. It is clearly rhetoric that is killing people. 
and they are going to continue to espouse it. Forget that there's, you know, that we're not going to do anything about gun control. They are going to continue to keep saying these things, knowing what the consequences are. It has been explained to them over and over and over again that it's anti-Semitic, that it's racist, that it's xenophobic, and they are going to continue. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just 12 pounds. That's one euro a week in Europe and just two dollars a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Mardwe screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts. A 
apologies for getting emotional there, listeners. I'm not going to ask them to do the sing-songy, you ask us, as we just talked about a mass killing, but we do now have to turn to our, uh, sorry, I should say that obviously we will continue to cover this in American politics and global politics, and we are going to turn now to our listener question. So this week in French politics, French President Emmanuel Macron picked his prime minister. A listener wanted to know what the significance of this pick was. And so for this, we turn to Ido. Yeah, so uh, Macron has appointed Elisabeth Borne, who was previously Transport, Environment and Labour Minister, as his Prime Minister. The first thing you can say about her is something that in many other European countries would not be all that notable, but unfortunately in France it is. Um, She's a woman, and she is the second woman in French history to serve as Prime Minister. Um, There was... One other in the early 1990s, Edith Cresson, who, who served for just under a year. Yeah, and so that's that's been fairly uncommon in recent French history. There's never been a French female French president, and there's only she is born is only the second female uh, prime minister. So so that's kind of the most obvious thing. Um, Macron, when he was running for president in 2017, I think he said he he hoped to repeat the experiment. Uh, of the 1990s, but actually in his first term, he appointed two men to be his prime ministers. But now for his second term, he has appointed Bonn. So he's kind of finally belatedly fulfilled that aspiration. Um, the second thing is that she she's kind of viewed as a bit of a safe choice. The, the expression that, that people close to Macron and um, his kind of supporters keep using is that she ticks all the boxes. So she's, she's originally of the left. She was Sigolène Royal, who was a, a French minister. She was her chief of staff and she was for a long time associated with the Socialist Party, though never actually a member. And she she only became a minister under Macron. So she has that kind of centre-left lineage without actually ever having been formally too closely associated with with the Socialist Party. So she was never a, a minister under François Hollande, the previous president, the Socialist, who was historically unpopular. So she doesn't really scare the right. But neither is she, does she have any kind of anti-liberal black marks against her as, that would disqualify her for being too right-wing. So another contender was being spoken about, which she had campaigned against against gay marriage a decade ago. And so that was viewed as kind of pretty disqualifying. Mm. And then in terms of the kind of priorities that Macron set out for his second term, she was environment minister. And so as prime minister, she's now going to be charged with this slightly nebulous concept of environmental planning, which Macron's promised to implement. So as environment minister, she'll be well prepared for that. And as labor minister, she obviously will have worked on increasing the retirement age, which was one of the few concrete promises that Macron made during his, during his re-election campaign. And so she's going to have to um, support the project proposal to raise the retirement age to 65. So all that together means that she's kind of viewed as, as a bit of a, a safe choice. Yeah. And could I just ask you to say a bit more about, I know you don't like to make predictions or, or read the tea leaves, but, but just how, so I'm going to ask you to do that. Um, no, just about a bit about how this might play in next month's parliamentary elections. So the, the big challenge for Macron is going to be to hold the two flanks of his electoral coalition together. So obviously he's got he's got a big base of support on the right, on the centre kind of liberal right, but also the MPs on, on the left of his party who had come from the Socialists or maybe even from the Greens had become increasingly uh, disaffected over, over his term just because 
he had very much tilted right for most of his term. His two previous prime ministers, Jean Castex and Edouard Philippe, both came from the centre-right originally and their, their policies were in that mould. And so if he wants to, if Macron wants to win a, wants to first win and then maintain uh, a parliamentary majority, he's going to need to perhaps broaden the appeal of his, of his politics a bit more to centre-left voters. And then he, he's going to need to keep the kind of left wing of his party happy once they're in parliament um, and to avoid them becoming what they call in France Fondeur, um kind of opponents who block most of, of the of the government's proposals. Of course, this is within the context of um, the French left having agreed on an electoral pact, which is still viewed as unlikely to lead the left to win a majority in parliament, but um, is definitely a, the strongest challenge that uh, Macron's party is, is facing at the moment. So appointing someone from the centre-left will be seen as an attempt to kind of respond to that challenge a little bit more. Thanks to all of you who sent in your questions. You can send yours in at podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk or by tweeting us. That's all the time we have for today. Join us Monday for an interview with Suzanne Hoff from anti-trafficking NGO La Strada about the Ukrainian refugee crisis. If you have enjoyed this episode of World Review, please like, subscribe, rate us, leave a review, and tell your friends. Our producer has been May Robson. Thank you for listening, and until next time. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.